Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. You've got Moab, who God has for centuries shown favour to. And in return, they've been proud and insolent. Sometimes the most broken people are the most successful. How does that work, do you think? We often associate success with ease and comfort, but with that ease and comfort can come pride and complacency, and they are not the stepping stones for success. Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 48. His topic for tonight, moaning for Moab. Moab, devoted to it apart from the people of Israel of Judah. And what we've seen so far is that, strangely, Moab had the the attention of God. And it's odd, it's really odd, because their, their origin was less than ideal. Their origin was after the daughters of Lot had got their father drunk and committed an incestuous relationship with him, which resulted in Moab being conceived and born. And somehow in that unlikely start, undesirable start, God showed tremendous favour to the nation of Moab, a nation who, for, for one reason or another, God decided to take a special interest in. And God's favour on them meant that Moab became an exceedingly rich nation. Now, if, if you were to if you were faced with the opportunity to enjoy God's favour and God was to say, how do you want me to favour you? How many of us would say, I want all my needs and some taken care of? And Moab certainly enjoyed tremendous riches, far more than they needed. Not only that, as a nation, if, you, if we were to think of a, a, the, the nation's wish list, we would, we would probably want things like we don't ever want to be invaded, don't ever want to be conquered, we don't ever want to have pieces of our land militarily taken away from us through battle or conquest. And Moab had all that. Moab experienced all of that. And you would think there would at least be gratitude. But this is what I've discovered in this text. And we'll see God actually refers to them as being broken. And, and, and we use this term today to speak of brokenness. What I've discovered is that People can be broken and it's not necessarily as obvious as a mental breakdown or a physical breakdown or even an emotional breakdown. It's not obvious. And so this expression, being broken, I, I hope to show you that, and, and I've touched on this before, that, that sometimes people experience brokenness because they have been deeply wounded, deeply hurt. And sometimes that hurt, that brokenness comes from someone inflicting that hurt upon them. Or sometimes it comes because of the weight of confusion, the weight of feeling like no one really cares. The weight of being misunderstood ends up breaking someone and they experience brokenness. And... and I used to think people in that category are pretty easy to spot. They look depressed. They, they isolate themselves from others. They, they aren't easy to get along with. They're, 
you know, just hard to please and, and, and they'll, they'll rehearse their hurt a lot and, and they're easy, they're easy to pick. What I've discovered as I've journeyed now uh, entering into this fifth or sixth decade, I've, I don't know how you count those, but whatever it is of my life, that I've discovered that sometimes, and this is true for Moab, sometimes the most broken people look like the most successful people. And they're not easy to spot because they wear the nice clothes, they drive the nice car, they live in a nice town, they have a nice family. Everything seems on the surface to be successful. But what I've discovered is that oftentimes the most broken people become the most successful people because for them success is the, the drug. It's the thing that alleviates the pain. It's the thing that... I didn't achieve success growing up because I didn't have my, my dad affirm me and my, my dad really lavish love on me and give me attention and tell me I love you, son, and I'm proud of you, son, which every young man needs to hear. And so they look for it in other ways and they look for it in finding success in their field of endeavour. And here we have this Amazing chapter, and if you'll, if you'll come with me on this journey through to the, the last part of chapter 48, we see God talking about Moab in terms of them being extremely successful. How many of us would think that God not giving us tremendous wealth and tremendous success was his grace on our life? How many of us have seen people who've achieved tremendous success, tremendous standing in life, and it's been to their absolute ruin. This is why I want us to be very careful in using this word that I misuse. (laughs) I misuse it a lot. And I'm just confessing that to you now, but it's this concept here. Blessing. People often confuse blessing with ease, comfort, prosperity and success. In other words, if you have ease or comfort or prosperity or success, we describe that as God has blessed me. God has blessed me. And I understand what people are saying when they say that. They're actually attributing those things to God. And that's a wonderful thing to do. Please don't stop doing that. If that's how you're using that term, please continue to do that. But I'm not so sure that you should automatically equate someone enjoying ease, comfort, prosperity and success as necessarily someone who is being blessed by God. Let's flip that, shall we? What about confusing, as most people do, the lack of ease, the lack of prosperity, the lack of success as being a lack of blessing? How many of us actually have to struggle throughout life? How many of us find that sometimes life can be hard? How many of us find that life isn't always easy, as someone once said, that sometimes life is full of conflict, life is full of toil, life is full of struggle. Sometimes people rob us and life is full of setbacks. And does that mean we are not blessed? Hmm. So let's think in terms of Moab having every material blessing, to misuse the word, that you could wish for, and what did it do to their heart? (laughs) Moab enjoyed this kind of prosperity, and as a result, they had grown proud. And proud in the sense, this is what I mean by proud, 
I did this, we did this. It wasn't anyone else, it was me. Proud. The me is very telling. The me is this is who the centre of my world is, or who's on the centre of my throne. It's me. So this is what we, we are going to observe from this passage in particular, as I introduce this to you, is that pride will cause a person's heart to become hard, and I could leave the statement there, but I'll keep going, hard toward God. I think pride causes a human heart to become hard so that when someone points out to someone who has a proud heart, and, not, and to my shame, I've, my heart is proud, but someone who has a really proud heart is someone who you can't talk to, you, you can't tell them, you can't correct them, you can't offer any advice because they know it already. That's a proud heart. And here we've, we see that, that century after century after century, God was trying through sending prophets. We read in Isaiah 16, which was about 150 years prior to Jeremiah or so, that God had reached out to Moab. He pleaded with them to forsake their idols, and yet they hadn't. And so that's what happens when you have a proud heart. A proud heart says, nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. I have everything I need, and I did it all by myself. Hmm. But this is what I notice about people who become proud. The Bible says that when you stiffen your neck, what is it, Proverbs 18, 1? The one who stiffens his neck will be easily broken. And a, and a proud person is someone who doesn't bend. They stiffen their neck. No, I'm right and that's it. Well, the Bible says you take that position, you'll be easily broken. And this is what I've noticed about pride and its link to brokenness. This is one of the things, and we see this come out in this text. And this is why I say, you know, I used to think I could easily pick broken people. And by the way, I think we're all broken. If we open up our heart to God and humbly invite him to have his way in our life, we can become whole. We can be healed. But here's one of the traits of a proud, broken person. And oftentimes we don't link those two things. But I want to show you I think they are linked. Pride leads to brokenness. And a broken person is overly critical of others. You know what? I think they have to be. Because there's a horrible, it's a horrible feeling, feeling like you're the one out of place. It's a horrible feeling. But when an, a broken person is feeling the way they're feeling, they often have, a, have a, a dire need to pull others down, to criticise others, perhaps even particularly whole people, people who are well. So we see in this text, and if you'll follow this, we're reading from verse 26. We're actually starting at verse 21, but I'm going to skip a few verses because this is a rather long passage, but I'll, we'll, we'll get the gist of this. This is what God says. Make him drunk because he magnified himself against the Lord. There's pride. So that Moab shall wallow in his vomit. This is poetic language. 
and he too shall be held in derision. Now, what, you, what, what I want to highlight to you is the to, T-O-O, held in derision. See, derision, when you deride someone, you're overly critical, but it's not just critical in the sense of, you know, this is what they did wrong, this is what they could do better. That's critiquing. Critical is where you just want to pull them down, and that's called deriding someone. When you deride, you're just negative about them. You just want to pull them down. Did you notice the two? It says, he too will, shall be held in derision. And we get an insight into what God is saying here in the next verse, where it says in verse 27, Was not Israel a derision to you? You see, in God's dealings with Israel, Moab had become critical to the point of deriding them. Look at Israel. They've got a temple. They worship Elohim, Yahweh. And yet the Babylonians have conquered them. Look at the northern tribes of Israel. And this is Isaiah, the prophet's time. Assyria, the Persians, have come in and they've taken them. And so, huh, so much for their gods. Unlike us, we're enjoying the blessing of Chemosh, the true God, the Moabites said, because we're in ease, we're in comfort, we're enjoying prosperity and success without acknowledging that it was God who gave them those favours. So was not Israel held in derision to you? In life, you may have people, and this is one of the clues you'll find in dealing with a broken person. You may be dealing about an issue with them and they switch from the issue to attack you. When that happens, just mentally note, this person is really hurting. This person is a broken person. Was he found among thieves that whenever you spoke of him, you wagged your head? Verse 29. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his loftiness, his pride and his arrogance and the haughtiness of his heart. Hmm. We're going to go on and see how God describes this brokenness that Moab was experiencing. Very proud. We've got this. And and I wonder if in the midst of enjoying all their ease and their prosperity and their comfort and their success, there was this niggling doubt. Are we right? Is Chemosh really the true God? (laughs) After all, we made him. (laughs) He's just made of clay and stone and wood. Hmm. And this is, this is what happens, the next step of a really hurting, broken person, apart from being highly critical and always putting down others, is they begin to exaggerate their own claims. They begin, they begin to exaggerate their abilities and their achievements. So they exaggerate. And, and we find God referring to this in verse 30 about Moab. I know his insolence, declares the Lord. His boasts are false. His deeds are false. He boasts about abilities that he doesn't actually have. He boasts about things that he's done that he didn't actually do. And these are the hallmarks of a broken person. And Moab was broken. You've got Moab, who God has for centuries shown favour to. 
And in return, they've been proud. And he uses the word insolent, which is oh, mockingly defiant of God. They've rejected his prophets. They've spurned his law. And they've attributed all the favours they've received from him to a false god they created called Chemosh. So how does God feel now? <laughs> how does he feel about the proud and the arrogant? And I guess we could answer this question by looking at the text of Jeremiah. Then I wanted to reflect on God incarnate and how he responded to those who were proud and arrogant and insolent. And who were those people who were the proud and the arrogant and the insolent of his day? Someone help me out. The Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees. So, how do, so let's just have a look at this. This is verse 31, the next verse. Therefore, I wail for Moab. What? What? I, 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 I wail? You see, wailing was what you did at, at, at a funeral. This is an expression of deep sadness. It's not just weep or cry. It's wail. I am overcome with Sad emotion for Moab. Really? I cry out for all Moab, for the men of Kir Haraseth. I mourn, says God. What? Who is this God? And see, I wanted to start here in this passage because if we start at verse 21, it says, I am going to judge them. I'm going to... You get a picture of God that's not quite accurate. You get a picture. If you only get a little bit of the picture, you don't get the whole picture. And I want us to see this. When God says judgment is coming on Moab, it's not because he's going, oh, that's it. I'm going to smite them and smitten them with lightning bolts. And it's, I'm just, he's the big angry God in the sky. That's not who he is. You get his heart here from Jeremiah. He loves these people. And I don't get that. But then again, he loves me. And I don't get that either. And then I think in Matthew 23, where Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. And you go, oh, here we go. And then we read in Acts 15 of the people that were converted to Christ. And it says this, there were many scribes and Pharisees who had become followers of Jesus. And Jesus showed them tremendous love and tremendous care. And so... My hunch is that in Matthew 23, when we're reading, woe unto you scribes, woe unto you Pharisees, it's not with laser beam eyes of anger and rage, it's with tears pouring down his cheeks. It's looking them in the eyes. It's going up to them, maybe putting hands on each shoulder and looking them in the eye, woe unto you if you keep going in this direction. And they may have heard the woe, but they would have seen the tears and realised he really cares. And he does. And he does. Broken, hurting people rarely experience lasting joy and gladness. And in that state, they often blame others for their misery. If it wasn't for such and such, I wouldn't be so miserable all the time. You make me miserable. That's how a broken person talks. Verse 36. Therefore my heart moans for Moab like a flute and 
that, that might sound odd, except that they hadn't invented bagpipes then. So God says in this passage, Therefore my heart moans for Moab like a flute. And my heart moans like a flute for the men of Kir Haraseth. Therefore the riches they gained have perished. So God moans. God really mourned for Moab in its condition. And I think he still does for those of us who are afflicted with pride and the blindness that comes from it. Verse 39. How it, that is, Moab, is broken. How they wail. How Moab has turned his back in shame. So Moab has become a derision and a horror to all that are around him. How it is broken. So here's the sad part of this. Even though Moab had experienced God's favour for centuries, they never sought his approval. And this is a confusing point for some. Things go bad. We think God has abandoned us and we, and we think God is not with us and we think God doesn't answer our prayers. Things go good for us and we think we now experience his blessing and his provision. When I don't think they should be our guidelines. I actually think God ordains times for you to toil. And I actually think God ordains... Don't listen to this, God. God ordains struggles and conflict in our life to make us more like Christ, who also had to go through struggle, conflict and toil. Hmm. I don't even like saying that, but I can see it in Scripture. I just wish it wasn't true. But I can see it, and I've had enough of life to know that it is true. So, so here's Moab enjoying the favour of God, these multiple provisions, but they, they, it didn't mean they were right with God. Jesus said, My Father causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous, the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God shows favour to people of whom he does not approve of their lifestyles. And this is revealed in Deuteronomy 23 verse 3, where it says, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. <laughs> wow. So let's not confuse what we call blessing with God's approval. And this should put us in a place where, where I'm going to use these words very advisedly. Some won't like me using it, but I'm going to use it. This should cause us to have a greater sense of the fear of the Lord. Because I am absolutely convinced that when you are in a place of ease and comfort and provision and prosperity, and there's not a person in this room right now that is not in any of those zones, no matter how bad you think you've got it, you are in the top five percentile of the world's population as far as wealth goes. We all have it pretty good. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Because it's in that place that we rarely acknowledge God we rarely give him the glory he's due and we rarely feel a desperate need
to meet with him. It's a dangerous place. So here we have a, a pretty plain statement. No Moabite can come into my temple. No Moabite can come into the tabernacle, into my house, to offer worship or sacrifices to me at all. Hmm. So despite that and despite God's favour, God continually reached out in love and he sent the Messiah, Jesus, to prove his love for Moabites. How so? In the lineage of Christ was Ruth. Ruth the Moabite. So the blood of a Moabite flowed through the veins of Jesus. Mary was ultimately descended from Ruth. What an honour to have the Messiah, the Saviour of the world, come through your stock. But notice what Ruth had to do. And this is, I hope we understand this, your approval or otherwise in the sight of God is not based on your nationality or your ethnicity. It's not based on your skin colour. It's not based on the language you speak. It's based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when Ruth said to Naomi, your God shall be my God at that moment, she kind of ceased being defined, identified as a Moabite, and became known as a worshipper of God. And that is not defined by nationality. God showed the Moabites his incredible love when he sent his son to die on the cross for them. It's an amazing thing. We read in Ephesians 2.15, this, or 2.14, and for he himself is our peace, Jesus, who has made us both one. Who's the both? It's the Moabites, that is the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and the Jews. He's made us one now. <laughs> He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's broken the brokenness, that for all those that come to him now and say, Jesus, I just want to worship you. I don't want to be defined by my country of birth, by my parents, by the language I speak or the colour of my skin. I want my ultimate identity to be found in you. <laughs> wow. And the, the process of healing can begin. We read in the last verse a very telling thing where, of chapter 48, where God says this, Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declare the Lord. Thus far is the judgment on Moab, and the restoring of the fortunes of Moab bring them into true blessing, which is Christ. In the latter days, the latter days of the Old Covenant, Jesus came right in the latter days of the Old Covenant. Jesus is the one who restores the broken. He's the one. Now, maybe you're here, maybe you're listening to this, watching this, and you feel broken. Maybe you feel like no one loves you. Maybe you feel like no one cares. Maybe you feel like people have hurt you. Maybe you feel like you're not worth anything, which is, a, again, a sign of brokenness. Here's where it starts, just simply by opening your heart. 
to God. You see, a proud person is a person with a hard heart. But a person who wants to be healed, a person who begins the process of healing, is a person who begins to open their heart. And can I say, church, we want to be a church of open-hearted people. I think it's such a beautiful thing, and I've had people comment on this. You know, I I came to Lagana, and and I didn't quite know what to expect, but I came and I saw young children, and I saw older folk (coughs) happily getting on with each other. You see people who are professionals, people who are labourers getting along with each other. You see people who have come from different ethnic backgrounds getting along with each other. Isn't that beautiful? He's made us one. He's taken down the wall of hostility and made us one. And that's where our healing begins. Perhaps you feel angry, sad, disappointed that you didn't get the affirmation and love that you craved from your father. Can I tell you, you've got a heavenly father who can satisfy those needs that you have infinitely and for eternity. And it begins simply by you opening up your heart and saying, God, have your way in my heart. Will you do that? Church, I think we need to do this. I need to do this. I need to have a heart that says, God, have your way in me. And so it begs the question, will you open your heart to God and allow him to begin to heal your soul? Will you seek God from your brokenness? more from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Moaning for Moab, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.